Welcome to the podcast edition of Wharton Moneyball. Uh, in this interview, we'll be talking to Sam Monson from Pro Football Focus. He's going to tell us whether we're going to see playoff Mahomes, which is very different than regular season Patrick Mahomes, and what implication that has for the game, and how good a Brock Purdy do we need to see to actually have the San Francisco 49ers beat the Kansas City Chiefs. So stay tuned and listen to our show here on Wharton Moneyball. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Wharton Moneyball on Business Radio. Welcome. Welcome to Wharton Moneyball, the show where sports and statistics collide. Uh, this is Eric Bradlow, Professor of Marketing and Statistics here at the Wharton School. Uh, I'm joined by my co-host Shane Jensen and Adi Weiner, both professors of statistics. Um, Shane, I've always said one of the great things about doing Wharton Moneyball, it's hard to imagine for almost 10 years now, is the guests that we have on the show who can tell us about the application of analytics directly in the field. And certainly there's no one better than our longtime guest, uh, Sam Monson. Uh, Sam, for those that don't remember, Sam joined PFS, Pro Football Focus, as one of their core members. Uh, he's now the lead NFL analyst, co-host of PFF NFL Podcast and the PFF NFL Daily. Um, he's a great follow on Twitter, at PFF underscore Sam. Uh, so Sam, uh, welcome back to Wharton Moneyball. No, thanks for having me, and appreciate the uh, the wonderful intro. Oh, it's great. Um, obviously, I'm sitting here. We're both Shane and I are both sitting here in Philadelphia. But as you told us off air, you're sitting there on Radio Row, on Media Row at the uh, Super Bowl, so in Las Vegas. So, why don't you give us first a sense about? Let's start with the analytics community. How does the analytics community? How are you thinking about the upcoming game? I mean, how are you thinking this is two evenly matched teams with high uncertainty? I think a lot of people thought maybe San Francisco was rated higher in the regular season. Just how are you thinking about this game from a purely analytics perspective? Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, we, we're looking at this game and the, the Chiefs are underdogs again. Um, and yet we've just seen evidence of kind of what happens when the Chiefs are underdogs, right? They, they go out there and they show. So now you're sort of looking at this. And if you were looking at the totality of the evidence, you would say, yeah, these are either evenly matched teams or the line is correct and, and San Francisco is the better team. Um, but So what you have to sort of ask yourself is, do we want the most information possible? Do we want the largest sample size we have? Or do we actually believe that playoff Kansas City is a different team than, than the regular season? Because the playoff Chiefs, the playoff version of Mahomes has been a different player and a different enterprise entirely so you're you're kind of look i think that is the big question that we're we're grappling with was you know we all know that the larger the sample size the better the data and the more you want to gravitate towards that but it does kind of look like not just the chiefs but this is i think kind of a a a genuine sign of greatness that is difficult to comprehend and, and uh and articulate jordan tom brady you know Patrick Mahomes now, it does seem that when the lights go on, they are able to change and transform their game and bring it to a different level. And it's really hard to accurately quantify that because obviously the sample size shrinks way down and, and it's, it's difficult to say, is that noise or is it really what he's, he's able to do? Yeah, Shane, just before I turn it over to you, just what Sam is talking about, which is a problem that we all deal with all the time in statistics is if you believe really that there's a, let's call it a regime change between the regular season and the, and the playoffs, then the regular season data is a different regime. We could call it whether it's old data, 
irrelevant data. And therefore, now all we have is six years of playoff Mahomes. So instead of having maybe 100 games for Mahomes or 100 plus, we now have 20 games. So now we have a much smaller sample size. So I just wanted to point out to our listeners here on What Moneyball, the problem Sam's talking about, he could be talking about he's trying to infer I don't know, advertising effectiveness or price changes. And there's, you know, one regime and another regime. You'd love more data, but you also want the data to be relevant to the problem you're having. So I just want to point out to our listeners, this is a very broad problem. And I guess my question is like, you know, because you obviously look, I think, at his performance in a more fine-grained way than we do. Is Mahomes actually like, is there an actual differential in terms of his own kind of in-game performance? I mean, he's able, obviously, it's, it's obvious that, being able to perform at least the same in the playoffs is already an achievement that most great, even great quarterbacks aren't able to do, you know, because you're, you're going up against the best teams in, in high pressure situations. But is it something beyond just the fact that he's able to continue his great performance against good teams, or is he actually doing something different in the playoffs fundamentally? No, he does. And it's one of the most interesting things that for his career, he has a playoff turnover worthy play rate of 1.7%. So, he becomes that that would lead the league in terms of the lowest turnover worthy play rate. Uh, how often you put the ball in harm's way, regardless of whether a DB actually catches it or drops it, um, how likely you are to create a play that is worth a turnover or should be a turnover. 1.7% would lead the league as the best rate in the NFL more often than not. There are some years, you know, last year, I think Justin Herbert was a 1.6, but generally speaking, that would be the best rate in the NFL. That is his career playoff turnover-worthy play rate. And it's it's like a percentage point better than his regular season turnover-worthy play, play rate. This year, um, forget the big mistakes, the really big glaring ones, the turnover ones, just how often he gets a negative grade of any description. So you miss a receiver by a yard. It's a harmless play, but it's a negative in our system. You get a negative grade for that. Um, he has the lowest uh, negatively graded play rate in the NFL, 10-point-something percent. In the playoffs, it's dropped down to six point something. So he's already the best quarterback in the NFL at how often he gets a negative grade, which we found is one of the most stable, sticky metrics for any quarterback anyway. And he takes that once you get to the playoffs and he makes it even better. So this idea of how I assume also, Sam, that that's correlated with winning. I mean, you could find lots of sticky metrics that have nothing to do with winning. So you have kind of a two pronged requirement. It's actually something that's sticky, enduring, and it's actually predictive of winning. Exactly. And I think it's part of what it's what explains, you know, how does he keep winning all these games? It's because you get to the playoffs and he does change his game fundamentally, not necessarily in a really obvious way but in a way that definitely has an impact in the bottom line and winning and losing games. And therefore, you know, Mahomes is on his way if he wins this weekend to <laughs> winning 50% of the Super Bowls of the time he's been starting. Do you guys uh, um, at PFF have, or just you personally, have any probability model that allows us to get me some sense of the distance between playoff Mahomes and regular season Mahomes on a standardized scale? Yeah. I have just no feeling for it, right? So obviously players vary a lot. We only have, you know, have 20 games as playoffs. Is there some kind of metric? I mean, we tend well, to let get- me ask, Let me ask Adi's question. I love yeah. Adi's. Let me ask it in a different way. Let's say, I, I love the following counterfactual with Adi. If this is not what you meant, please correct yeah. me. I know All you right. will. <laughs> Let's say non-playoff Mahomes played in the playoffs and played the games he had played. What would his record have been? 
How many Super Bowls would he have had? Like, that's a common metric. Let's look at his right. observed performance, and let's say non-playoff Mahomes was in those games. Do we have a prediction of what the expected less number of wins is or Super Bowls? Any thoughts? That would be a, com- that would be a common metric. That's a yeah, different question I, that I asked, though. I will be. I will say <laughs> it's a good one, but it's different. And I mean, let me just focus you. I, I mean, uh, on my question before you get to Eric's, which really asks, you could answer it almost in a in a permutation type style way of thinking about it, right? Meaning you could label tw- uh, twenty games playoffs and a hundred games if that's how many he's played in outside of the playoffs, just approximately um, not playoffs. And uh, you have a grade or some kind of score for each each game, and you might ask yourself, what's the distance between, what's the distribution of say 20 randomly picked games, and then find out where the tw- the, the 20 playoff ones are on that scale. That would be a, actually a fun project. I mean, I wonder whether students could do it if you haven't done it to give you a sense of how deviant these 20 games are from his ri- original 100. If you if you don't have an answer, which you probably don't, you have some flavor for it. Like how, you know, how many standard deviations would be a, a model-based way of, of measuring that? Uh, is playoff homes from ordinary Mahomes? Yeah, we, we haven't dove too deeply into it at all. Um, you know, in addition to all the problems we've already talked about, about how you sort of dive into all that stuff, there's also the fact that year on year, each one of these playoff teams is different. The supporting cast is different. You know, the defense he's playing is different. It's, it's not a constant, right? It's not a control sample size for just the only variable being different being playoff versus regular season. So all we've done is a very surface level look at, you know, what is this PFF grade uh, playoffs versus regular season stuff like the turnover worthy plays we talked about before that drops a, a full percentage point. That's a significant jump from it would he's on the better side of the NFL on that, but he's, he's usually not the first, second, third quarterback in the NFL in terms of risk averse uh, play uh, and turnover worthy plays when he gets to the playoffs, he becomes basically the best quarterback in the NFL at avoiding those plays. So it, it's definitely not a, a, a thing we really uh, created a, a, a full look at the picture on. Yeah, I guess a fur- I, I, I maybe comment on the further, a further complication on that permutation analysis is the idea that, you know, I mean, not Mahomes in a vacuum. Obviously, he's also got a great coaching staff. And, you know, kind of schemes and schemes and, and and kind of game plans that evolve as the season goes on. And so under that, permu- that, that permutation sort of analysis would assume that somehow, you know, we're holding scheme constant or something like that. Whereas, you know, again, you could imagine a world where the Chiefs, you know, know they're going to the playoffs and hold out kind of, you know, make sure that they have their best plays and best schemes and, you know, best ways of making Mahomes excel until yeah. the playoffs, you know, and it's and then, hard to kind of deconvolve those, I feel like. And then the sort of flip side working against that is, generally speaking, the deeper any team goes into the playoffs, the more injured and banged up and the personnel yeah. is changing, right? Yeah. Like the, the team in week 20 is going to be significantly weaker from a personnel standpoint than the team in week one, by and large, right? Everybody's healthy to start the season. Teams get banged up. And usually the, the healthier teams are the ones that make it deep into the playoffs, but they're still ravaged by injuries. I mean, you know, AOC championship game, Kansas City just lost Charles Amenu, who's a, a big part of their defensive line. He's not a factor anymore in the Super Bowl. So, Sam, Sam let me ask you, there is a um, 
Well, we've talked for the first 11 minutes here. And by the way, this we're here on Wharton Moneyball. This is Eric Brado. I'm here with my co-host today, Shane Jensen and Adi Weiner, some combination of the three of us, and Cade Massey are here every week on Wharton Moneyball. We're talking to Sam Monson, Sam's the lead NFL analyst and co-host for PFF NFL Podcasts and PFF NFL Daily. Um, we could spend all the time we have talking about Mahomes, but there is actually a quarterback on the other side who many people would have argued for a while during the season was looking like the MVP of the season. So how are you guys at Pro Football Focus viewing Brock Purdy? Let's remember, in his first two years, I have to think you probably know exactly, his one loss record, I'm making it up, I don't know, 20 and 3, of or 20, whatever it is. He hasn't started two full seasons because he's had some injuries, but he's also made it to two NF, I mean, he made it to the NFC Championship game last year. Obviously, he got injured during the game and basically didn't play any of the game and they couldn't throw the ball. So, the, you know, the Eagles may have won anyway. But I mean, he's had a remarkable two first seasons. How do you guys at Pro Football Focus grade Brock Purdy? Yeah, he's he's the classic um, sort of problem of perception, right? Like he's in this world of no nuance and black or white and one extreme or the other. He's either a fraud, a product of Shanahan system, does you know barely deserves to be there, and we're we're seeing him exposed in the playoffs, or he's the MVP. He's you know the next Tom Brady, the next Joe Montana, and the truth is always somewhere in the middle. And you know Brock Purdy. I think for a while was building a fairly legitimate MVP case this season. But part of that was because nobody had a great MVP case this season. It was a weird year where, you know, just as somebody started to emerge as a clear MVP, they had a bad game that almost became disqualifying. And that seemed to happen to everybody except Lamar Jackson. And then his sort of disqualifying game came in the playoffs after the point where the MVP has already been voted on, you know? So I think Purdy was starting to build that case. And it doesn't mean that you sort of say none of the other stuff is real, right? He's clearly benefiting from a Shanahan offense that is the current um, meta offense in the NFL. It, you know, I think Shanahan offense quarterbacks were one, two, three in yards per attempt this season. The top three guys in the league were running some variant of that offense, Houston, Miami, and San Francisco. Nick Mullins has the same career average yards per attempt as Aaron Rodgers. We know that that offense is, you know, it produces offense. It creates beneficial throws. And if you just take what's there, you will have impressive stats across the board. Um, he also has George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, uh, Christian McCaffrey in the backfield, Trent Williams at left tackle. Like the supporting cast is fantastic as well. These are real things too. Um, but it doesn't mean that he's also not bringing things to the table. And, where I think he becomes a, a fantastic fit for this system is Brock Purdy's biggest strength, I believe, is the late in the down improvisational uh, ad-libbing ability. So right as Shanahan's offense runs out of answers is where Brock Purdy's biggest skill set comes into play. So I think the combination of the two is actually more powerful, more potent and more effective than the sum of the individual parts on its own. And that's why I think you see this big leap in win-loss ability, this big leap in production from Jimmy Garoppolo, who is also you know, a pretty good quarterback, capable of running that offense, to Brock Purdy. The big difference is the way the Purdy strengths play into this offense. So let me ask you a question that I think Shane wants to jump in. Let me ask you a question. I was just going to comment on those turnover-worthy plays. And Jimmy Garoppolo, man, that guy was the king of the turnover-worthy plays. <laughs> 
let me let me ask you a question. Maybe it, it keeps getting bad. Maybe Adi's point about putting things on a common metric has, has stuck into my head, and I keep thinking about this. Let's say everybody plays at pro football folks' expectation, except Patrick Mahomes plays at expectation, which is great, and Brock Purdy plays at the 90th percentile of the distribution, what pro football focus thinks his quality is. Does San Francisco win the game? Like, in other words, if I just told you right now, however good you think playoff Mahomes is, I'll even give you playoff Mahomes, and however good you think playoff Purdy is, Mahomes plays average playoff Mahomes, but Purdy plays in the upper end of his distribution. Does San Francisco win the game? Yeah, I think they probably do, but I think they need that for the, to win the game. Well, that's what but I was going to oh, keep going. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask you. I think that really is the key for the 49ers. Like this is the best defense that's ever been paired with Patrick Mahomes. Playoff Mahomes looks to be a real thing. Playoff Kelsey might be a real thing. Andy Reid with, you know, two weeks to game plan, I think is a real thing as well. Even though it's it's no longer the perfect record that it once was that people would always bring up. It's still a pretty phenomenal record when Andy Reid has got some time to work and, and, and game plan for somebody. So I think you're going to get the best version of the Chiefs or something pretty close to it. Um, I think you can definitely argue that overall San Francisco is a, is a better team, but they need the most important element of that team, Brock Purdy, to play at something like his best level for that to be able to keep pace with what I think will be a better version of the Chiefs than we've seen from most of this year. I think the Chiefs can afford, you know, some part of that not necessarily to fire or to just be average and they'll still be at right there. The 49ers need they can't have Brock Purdy playing the way he did against Green Bay, the way he did against Detroit for, you know, most of the game. They need him to be playing the way he was playing earlier in the season where he was absolutely cooking relative to to his overall kind of distribution curve. Do you have any thoughts about Shane even talked about this, about strategy. Like, for example, if you're Kansas City, I'm sorry, San Francisco in this game, do you just try to run the ball until they prove they can stop the ball? I mean, one advantage is you have a good running back. You have a bunch of good running backs. You have a very good offensive line. Kansas City's been somewhat vulnerable to the rush, more so vulnerable to the rush than the past. And every minute you're on the field is a minute Patrick Mahomes is not on the field. So if you're San Francisco... Do you take a totally different strategy in this game? Matter of fact, your goal is to win this game 17-14, not 35 to 31. You'll take either, but you you think there's a greater chance of winning at 17-14 than 35-31. I'm just interested in your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I think if they're able to run the ball well, there's almost no team in the NFL that isn't in a better position to win if their run game is firing in all cylinders and they're, you know, rattling off four, five, six, seven yards to carry. It's it, it works. It doesn't mean it's it's the best approach to just run into a game and try and run the ball at will, regardless of how it's going. But if they have the capacity to have a successful run game against the Chiefs, they're absolutely in a better position to win the game than they would have been if the Chiefs are able to stop the run without ad- allocating extra resources to it. So, yeah, if Christian McCaffrey is a huge part of this game and that is successful and they don't need Brock Purdy to carry everything on, on offense and win the game passing, yeah, I think I think their chances of winning that game goes up. So let me ask you one more question about the game, and then I want to, uh, since we have you, I'd love to hear your thoughts about the NFL draft, and specifically there's one aspect of it I'd, I'd love your thoughts about. So who do you think wins the game? What, do you have any prediction of the score in the game? What do you think is going to happen in, in this game? And who's uh, the MVP I, of the game? 
I think that the Chiefs win the game. Um, I'm kind of surprised that the line hasn't really moved. Everybody seems to be of the same opinion that we've done this a couple of weeks in a row already. We're not doing it again. I'm not betting against Patrick Mahomes as an underdog. We it, it's it's not going to work. So everyone kind of seems to be agreeing on that. And yet the line's staying where the line has been, and San Francisco is favored. Um, I think the four. I think the the Chiefs will win. I think they'll. You'll get a better version. I think Mahomes will be MVP if they win. Um, I do think it'll be a shootout, though. I think there'll be a lot of points in this game. I think both defenses are good, but I, I don't know that the they're, that the 49ers are going to stop a relatively mistake-free Patrick Mahomes. And I think that 49ers offense is good enough that they will be able to at least get close to keeping pace with the Chiefs. So let's spend a few minutes that we have left with you, Sam. Again, we're talking to Sam Monson. Uh, Sam is one of the core members of PFF. He's the lead NFL analyst. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at PFF underscore Sam. Um, let's talk about the draft. How do you see this year's draft? I mean, people are talking about, especially at the quarterback position, as being one of those transformative drafts with Caleb Williams Drake May. Now people are even saying, I can't even believe I'm saying this guy's name because he was awful. But Bo Nix, I mean, I don't know. He was awful. He was yeah. awful. The new Auburn, Bo Nix, the Auburn Bo Nix was terrible. But, the, you know, there's maybe, and, and people are even talking about five, six, seven quarterbacks going in the first couple rounds. How do you see it? Do you see this as the classic escalation of quarterbacks that always happen? Or do you actually think we may have two or three transformative, let's call them franchise quarterbacks in the draft? I think Caleb Williams is definitely in that category. I think he could be special. I think his ability, his uh, potential, his capacity, the things that he can do are very Mahomesian. You're going to see a lot of those comparisons. Um, his arm is exceptional. He's incredibly athletic. He is also capable of doing the, you know, can you work within the confines of a regular offense? Can you throw just on time in rhythm without creating and without extending the play, without all doing all that kind of thing? So I think Williams is in that kind of category, and he should be the number one overall pick. The rest, I think, sounds more like that annual thing of we need quarterbacks, we're going to start pushing them up in the draft. And it's also very difficult to tell. I mean, the 2021 class, the Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Mac Jones, uh, Trey Lance, that class seemed special at the time, right? Everyone pretty much loved all five of those quarterbacks. They were very different but they were all very, very good prospects. And right now, the only one of them that looks viable or, or you know, high level is Trevor Lawrence. And even he hasn't really lived up to that, you know, the best prospect since Peyton Manning, since Andrew, Andrew Luck. Luck, since Elway. Yeah, like, he, those are the three. He was, it was Andrew Luck in 2012. If, it was, if he went back before him, it was Peyton Manning in 98. And if it was before that, it was John Elway in, in 83 or whatever that was. So yeah, that was what he was billed as. And he's been good. He hasn't been at that level yet. So I think it's always hard to tell with quarterbacks. But I do think this looks like a good quarterback year with a special number one. So let me ask you one last question also. If you're the um, Chicago Bears and you have the number one pick, well, so far I don't have to say anything. You are If the Chicago Bears have the number one pick, do they dump Justin Fields or do you and and draft Caleb Williams, given your belief and many people's belief that it's a transformative quarterback? Or do you stay with Justin Fields? Maybe you can get a Herschel Walker-like load for this pick, get right. four or five number one picks or three or four number ones and number twos. You, you know, you're okay with Justin Fields. You know, you can be a good team, but let's build around him. What do you do if you're the number one pick? 
and that's always the missing piece of the puzzle from the outside, right? It's it's what does that trade look like? Um, from in terms of as an abstract concept, I would move on from Justin Fields. I think we I don't think we've seen enough yet to be confident that he is going to be the guy in a year's time that you hand a $50 million a year contract to. He might get there. I, I'm not saying he can't be, but I don't think you can be confident in that right now, at which point I would push the reset button. I would go get the new guy. The contract starts over again, and, and I would go in that direction. But Suppose, the, suppose by the way, this is what I heard this morning on a, you know ESPN and stuff. Suppose you're the commanders at number two who right. just hired, I forget, whoever their offensive coordinator is, the guy that was Caleb Williams' coach. Cliff at Kingsbury. Yeah, Kingsbury. Suppose the number two team says, we'll give you number two pick and a couple of number ones to move up. And you're like, you know what? Maybe Drake May's better than him. Would you do right. that? Um, I think there's a big drop off. So I, w- I-, I wouldn't be keen on that if I was moving in that direction. If I was taking that deal, I think I would be sticking with Fields rather than going to Drake May or the next guy down the rung. But that's the variable, right? I haven't I haven't fielded the phone calls. I don't know what's being offered right. and what's being offered changes depending on how far down the draft you're going. Right. So it's, it's a very movable feast, but my default position would be if I'm Chicago, I'm using this pick until somebody gives me a deal. That's too good to turn down, you know, where I decide, okay, that changes the math. Now I think we're better off taking this all. Even if I need to pay Justin Fields, $50 million a year next year, I think I'm getting so much value in young draft talent that are going to be on their rookie contracts we we always think about it in terms of the rookie qu- contract for the quarterback because that's the best value right if you brock purdy has the best value contract in the nfl because he's the last pick of the draft and he's playing the most important position so those two things together make him the most valuable contract in the entire nfl so that's what everybody's chasing but if you had the quarterback on a, a giant contract but you've got six new rookie contract players that are making an impact for you that might add up to the same level. That of, might be fine too. Spread across different players. Right. Well, Sam, I'd like to thank you for joining us here on Wharton Moneyball. We've been joined by Sam Monson. Sam is one of the core members of PFF, the lead NFL analyst there, co-host PFF NFL podcasts and the PFF NFL Daily Show. He's a great friend to us here on Wharton Moneyball. Thank you, Sam, for joining us here today on Wharton Moneyball. Anytime, guys. Thanks for having me on. And thank you for joining us from Las Vegas and from uh, the media station and Radio Row. So, guys, this has been Wharton Moneyball. On behalf of myself, Shane Jensen, and Audie Weiner, some combination of us and Cade Massey are here every week on Wharton Moneyball. I'd like to thank our producer, Matt Datz, our associate producer, Dion Simpkins, who makes all of this possible. Uh, between now and next week, enjoy the Super Bowl, enjoy your sports, and we'll see you next week here on Wharton Moneyball. Wharton Moneyball.